This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, the Vice President of Media Strategy at Mission.org. And this is the show where twice a week, you'll get VIP access into the hearts and minds of some of the most influential marketers in the world. On Marketing Trends, we'll do two things. We'll go deep on a human level, and we'll go even deeper on the nitty gritty of what makes for the most successful marketers and strategies today. I'm glad you're here. Now let's get into it. There are few things in life that are not volatile. The stock market rises and falls, much like a pendulum swinging from left to right. Crypto is viewed as a rocket ship, but its returns remain mostly inconsistent, and the housing market has seen its fair share of crashes over the years. But if you're looking for one asset class that bucks the trend when it comes to volatility, fine art might just be it. For centuries, art has been seen as an avenue for the rich and famous to flex their wealth. But Masterworks believes its business model of allowing everyday consumers to invest in multi-billion dollar pieces of art is shattering that glass ceiling and democratizing art for all. We consider ourselves fiduciaries or financial advisors. We're doing that because art is a very confusing and brand new asset class. We're the only ones enabling access to this $1.7 trillion market. So from a suitability standpoint, to let someone YOLO their life savings into a bank is just not something that we want our customers to do. And we also don't think it makes sense for someone that has a $5 million retirement portfolio to put in $100. We'll tell that person, just keep your money, keep the cash, you know, put it in stock, something like that. So we're really getting people not only to understand what is art as an asset class, why is art important, but to make sure they're investing responsibly and investing a part of their portfolio that actually makes sense. Michael Winner is the Vice President of Marketing and Director of Business Development at Masterworks, a platform that lets everyday consumers invest in pieces of art such as Banksy, Cause, Basquiat, and more. Michael joined me on this episode of Marketing Trends to discuss how Masterworks is using centuries of data to its advantage to not just identify which pieces of art the company invests in, but also why they are opening that data up to everyone. Michael dives into how Masterworks views itself more as a financial institution rather than an art gallery. Enjoy this episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Marketing Trends. This is your host, Jeremy Bergeron, I'm super excited and honored to have Michael Winner, Vice President of Marketing and Business Development from Masterworks. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am very pumped to be here. Dude, super stoked to have you, man. I was listening to a little bit of your interview. You had you did an interview on uh, an investment podcast. It was like it was last month. Something investment assets or something. Alternative assets. Alternative assets. Yeah, super cool, man. You did a great job on that. Thank you. And I actually. I pinpointed that podcast to go back and, and look. I love looking at alternative esoteric investment stuff. And so it seems like those guys are doing some cool things, but great job on that, dude. Um, so give us just some context, man. I know you've had a really cool, interesting background, you know, finance to fintech to art 
really interesting stuff that you've done up until now. Um, but just just for context, like where are you from? Big family, small family? Kind of give us the background <laughs> of kind of where you're at. I love that question. Um, sure. So I grew up in, uh, in D.C., then went to college in Miami, okay. which was a very fun time. <laughs> After I graduated, went to work in finance, doing sales and trading for, for about five years. That was fun for about the first year. Then sort of watched the industry get more boring every year. But uh, towards the end, I got really into marketing. Um, it was a $40 billion hedge fund. So there was a lot of green space to work with financial advisors and wealth managers, RAs, institutions. And towards the end of it, I, uh, I really got more into digital marketing. So wanted to sort of take my talents out from the old school finance world uh, and into the new tech world. Coincidentally, and luckily, I had some experience uh, starting a newsletter called Market Snacks, which later was acquired by Robinhood. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, and later became Robinhood Snacks, which has like 33 million uh, subscribers now and a podcast. So that's sort of where I had this you know, marketing background a little bit, content creation. So when I went over to the fintech space, it wasn't totally new. Um, I wasn't sort of stuck in this old school finance uh, mentality. So started that newsletter from 500 friends and family all the way up to what it is now was, was definitely a cool experience. So then worked my way into fintech at a company called Yield Street. Uh, again, sort of starting my alternative investment uh, journey. Yield Street just recently raised $100 million in their Series C platform for alternative investments. Then headed over to EquityZen, a really cool company, which lets you buy and sell shares of pre-IPO tech companies, things like Uber and Lyft before they were public. Uh, and that company's been doing really well. A lot of their competitors have merged and raised huge amounts of money. So really exciting there. And then I was given the opportunity to run marketing at Masterworks.io, the only investment platform that lets you invest in blue chip art. So stuff uh, from artists like Banksy, Picasso, Basquiat, uh, Andy Warhol, you name it. Uh, we, we've launched about 80 or so paintings, uh, about $400 million of art offered to investors. Uh, and it's been a really exciting two years. Dude, that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, there is some insane growth happening at your company. I had Scott, your CEO, on uh, another show that I host last week. And yeah, man, an, an incredible human being. Love that dude, man. <laughs> I, I mean, he's not only is he sharp, I mean, the guy's super sharp. It's like, but his, ex his experience in entrepreneurship and the things he's done, I think really puts you and the other leadership folks there, certainly the whole team, in a really good spot, man. So, I've been super impressed to like connect a little bit with him and find out kind of how he got to where he is as well. And he spoke highly of you, man. So I'm, I'm super excited because there's some, there's some ridiculous growth happening there. And we'll get into that today. So just, just to back up a little tiny bit, like what was the spark for you in marketing though? Right. Cause like, it seems like you had, you kind of had an intersection. You could have gone down a couple of different roads. Like what was, was it a campaign? Was it a marketer? What was the thing where it marketing itself grabbed you as like, wait a second. Michael, let's let's take marketing on as like the thing we want to do. What was that for you in the beginning? I think there were probably two scenarios where I felt like I think marketing is something I want to do, and maybe more specifically, digital marketing. So the first was uh, <laughs> when I was uh, at college doing just market snacks. I was you know, way back in the day trying to get people to sign up. You know, a, a professor came out, and you know, I told him about it. And uh, he came back to me and he said, Hey, I, uh, I went ahead and you know, emailed this around to a few people. I was like, Oh, thanks. Like how many people? He's like, Oh, the entire economics department. And for me, I was like, that it was, it was so cool. And at the time it was like, what, a few hundred people, but it just got me so excited. And I was like, wow, word of mouth marketing, like pretty cool. 
again, not much you can do in terms of like digital marketing, anything like that, but it's sort of, you know, and then I'd have people coming up to me in the halls, like this is your newsletter and just like made me feel really cool. Like a big man on campus, even though I'm about five, eight. So, um, you know, when I'm walking by all the football players, I felt as tall as them. <laughs> um, the second scenario again with market snacks was, um, I remember we hosted an event. Uh, again, I have that's, you know, uh, you can never really do word of mouth marketing and I don't really, you don't really do a lot of events and masterwork. So different than what, I, what I've done, but you know, we had a, a launch event uh, at a bar in the Lower East Side. And you know, there's some people there that didn't really know master, uh, know, uh, market snacks. And then all of a sudden I just had an idea. I grabbed a clipboard, grabbed a piece of paper, got a pen and just said, give me your email address. Give me your email address. Just every single person. This was like a fun launch party, but to me it was about marketing and business and, you know, <laughs> just seeing just brute force making people sign up, which I wish I could do now. Uh, you know, it was, uh, it was really fun. And, um, you know, th that, that's sort of those sort of like magical moments that get you super excited, uh, in person really make a big difference. Mm, I love that. That's cool. Yeah. You don't, you don't forget that those moments of like, okay, you know, creative lead generation, you know, and thinking of how you can make an impact. And that's really cool, man. Um, so from the outside looking in early days, Masterworks, you were brought on to kind of be the first marketer. Were you kind of the first marketer on the, on the squad? Yeah, I don't know. We, there, were, there were a few iterations before me. I think I'm probably okay. the, the longest tenured, but, you know, we, we had a tiny budget. We were probably doing three or four campaigns, you know, maybe just on Facebook, a newsletter here or there. Okay. When I joined two years ago, compared to now, we've got a team of maybe just under 15. Okay. Uh, and we're, we're everywhere. So, you know, we're doing podcasts and newsletters and every social media platform you can imagine. Yep. So it's really started from just me doing everything to, to building out and managing a team. Wow. Okay. So I always like to ask this question for, you know, a new marketing leader coming into an organization, you know, first 90 days is really key. You know, thinking about what are some of the things that you did was it team? Was it channel focused? Like what are kind of the first 90 days of your role leading marketing at Masterworks? What are some of the things you're establishing? Maybe you're, you know, some of the shorter term, midterm, long-term like priorities when you come in in the first 90 days, what are you focused on? The very first thing I wanted to do was make Masterworks the cool kid. And I know that sounds kind of odd, but there's a very niche, what's called FinTwit, finance Twitter community. And I'd worked really hard at Equities End to make Equities End part of that conversation, part of that community, where we're not talking about a, a big audience here, but a super dedicated audience where if you are close with the influencers and the big time people in that space, and they know your product and they invest in your product, they'll preach the gospel more than any paid marketing campaign or organic marketing campaign could. And they're also going to influence people to pull the trigger and make that investment. So the very first thing I did when I came in was reach out to these, you know, even these like anonymous Twitter accounts who I, you know, built a relationship with people like Ramp Capital or Liquidity. Some people may uh, recognize those names, but just reaching out to them and saying, Hey, I'm at a new gig. I want to do what I did at Equity Zen and really get the conversation going because although people may see us in different advertisements, they don't know us more than a place where you can buy a piece of a Warhol. I want them to think of us as the cool, hot, exciting new investment platform. Mm, I love it. Okay. So at what point did things start to move really fast in terms of like, cause I mean, I, I've got, I got some numbers from Scott. I mean, there's like 600 plus new people, you know, joining every day. I mean, it's, it's massive, the growth, big opportunities. Mm -hmm. When did things really start to, to kind of move full tilt for you? That's interesting. Uh, it's a good question. So I think 
you know, right when COVID started happening and the stock market was tanking and, you know, the end of the world was near, uh, we were, we were worried. We really didn't know what was going to happen. And we don't know if it was a impact of people being locked at home and wanting to invest more like we saw across other investment platforms, but we saw it too. And we saw the numbers just going up and up and up during, uh, you know, end of March and April, 2020. Uh, and that to us sort of not an aha moment, but this is real moment. Like the world is crashing and people are trying to invest in art. So that, that was really exciting. And, you know, there, there wasn't really a, you know, this is where we started doing it. Like every single month, our user signups go up, our spend goes up, our efficiency goes up. Hopefully our CPAs go down, but <laughs> there was no moment where we sort of flipped the switch on. You know, we were just on Facebook when I started and then we added LinkedIn and then we added Core, and then we added Twitter. It was all gradual. And we wanted to make sure that we weren't trying to be the best at everything, but try and dominate one specific platform, whether that's direct mail, um, you know, or display advertising, and then move on, mm -hmm. assign someone to it full time, and then keep going. Mm. You know, for for me, when I think about, you know, the marketing leader like yourself in, in a fast growing company, to me, it's all about collaboration, right? You're you're often sitting at this intersection of product, finance, sales. And and really it's like the core job of like you, the marketing leader, is like to make sure that you're like staying aligned and really supporting each other towards that common goal. How are you doing this at Masterworks? Because I mean, you guys are again, it's explosive, it ain't slowing down. How are you able to kind of position yourself, align yourself with these key functions of business in the middle of a lot of growth? That's a good question. You know, you're you're talking about sort of intersections of different teams. I am physically sitting next to our CEO, Scott Lynn. <laughs> so when we're not getting a ton of signups, I get sort of a, Mike, what's going on? <laughs> uh, so when people talk about a carrot and a stick approach. Um, I have a stick sitting right next to me. So there's no way to, to avoid it. <laughs> wow. So um, I, I think you know, that's, that's, that's one side of it. Another side of it too is being able to, to physically sit next to Scott, someone who's got so much experience, hearing him pitch the story every single day, hearing him you know, he's going from meeting to meeting, talking to our acquisition team about what painting we should acquire, talking to our prod team about how we should change, you know, flows. So being able to sit next to him and physically sitting next to a bunch of people. I mean, we were back in office September, July, 2020. We are very fundamental believers in being in office, being safe at the same time. Mm -hmm. But I know a lot of other companies can make remote work well. We can too, but we are just so efficient being able to you know, chat across desks and work really hard together. Uh, I think that's something that's really important. Mm. What a cool, you know, an X factor piece is like, hey, sit next to the CEO. You know, if you sit next to Scott, which by the way, he's an amazing human. It's like, that's, that to me is inspiring, challenging. Like you said, carrot and stick right there, literally next to you. So <laughs> that's pretty cool, man. So you've been there how long now? Just about two years. Two years. Okay, awesome. Which as you know, look in a marketing leader role, the marketing leader typically in the business is like the shortest tenured role. It's like <laughs> you either you either come in for like rebrand, reorg, retire. Hopefully it's the good kind of retire. <laughs> if not, it's the, you know, you're, you're looking for something else. But, you know, you just because the fact that you've been there two years, that tells me a lot kind of about your approach and, and the stuff that you're doing, which is incredible. How have you really evolved as a leader over time? That's a that's a great question. I know this is going to sound cheesy, but I've sort of always found myself as a leader in whatever role I'm doing. I feel like I'm giving like an interview why you should hire me. But <laughs> um, you know, I think I I call back to like when I was in high school and uh, I was captain of the varsity football team. Now that doesn't sound cool via podcast, but 
keep in mind that I'm 5'8 and a scrawny Jewish kid. So being captain, I think, says a lot about my ability to lead even when I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing and just being able to figure things out. And that's the sort of the position I was thrown into at Masterworks where we sort of had a hodgepodge of different campaigns. And I think one of the most interesting learnings I've had is that it's a lot better to bootstrap something on your own, see if there's life to it, give it an opportunity, and then hand it off for someone to focus all of their time on. That's sort of the approach we take. I think a lot of people don't give enough time. They'll say, you know, I tried Cora for a month, spent whatever, $10,000, couldn't make it work. I think that's fundamentally flawed in that we'll give something three months, four months, six months of trial until we really don't think it can work or we think we either need to spend more, spend less. I think a lot of marketers get caught up with stigmas like, oh, LinkedIn CPAs are too high. We've actually leaned into that and said, okay, we know it's high. Well, the quality is also high. So we're going to keep going with that. So I think what I've learned is that really give things a much longer time frame of trial before you give up on it. And then once you know it's an established channel, assign someone to it and make that their dedicated thing. Make them own that. Right now, we have someone whose life is Quora, whose life is LinkedIn, whose life is Twitter. And they're getting so deep and getting so many learnings that we can use across platforms and different ad campaigns. So that's sort of the journey of one person into, into 15. Wow. Yeah. You know, LinkedIn something that, that comes up a lot for even for our team here. And you, it's the same thing you just said. It's like it's too expensive. You know, we're, so a lot of companies, including ours, don't even really take a hard look at it because that's the, that's the verbiage. That's the narrative that we hear. And to your point, it, it can be expensive. It can be. But I don't think we talk enough about the quality. If you're doing it in a way that's generating quality, then, then the conversation can shift there. So you're, you are seeing some positive ROI from, from LinkedIn, it sounds like. Absolutely. And it's the kind of thing that originally we just said, we ourselves were guilty of it. It's too expensive. Like, give it up. I, I haven't had success with any of my prior roles. But I finally just said, let's just grit our teeth through this. Let's just go in and really just see how things evolve in the bottom of the funnel because you're seeing these extremely high CPAs and then that will scare you off. Right. But if you wait on see how they go through the, the sales funnel and you know through the bottom, you'll actually see that quality is high, intent is high. I mean it's pretty magical. You know, we always talk about how Facebook, um, you know, it's such a great platform because people are giving away so much information about themselves. Well, LinkedIn's giving you much more relevant information. You can tell exactly how wealthy and, you know, uh, how successful someone is. They're telling you. So, you know, we don't really do role based targeting or, you know, um, job based targeting, but it's really incredible that by, you know, what you're able to do on there more by brute force. Their technology is obviously not as good as Facebook, but if you can kind of figure out how to set up targeting campaigns, you can get to the wealthiest, most successful people on earth. It's going to cost you, but if you can convince them, it's the best way to do it. Mm, I love that. And that kind of connects to this next question, which is around customer experience, end-to-end customer experience. What would you share other marketing leaders about kind of how you really started on this journey of creating a seamless, better end-to-end customer experience at Masterworks? Like, where should they start? How do you view that from your, your perspective? We really fell into our sales flow we should note that Massworks is not a self-serve platform. You're not going in there and connecting your bank account and $100 is going in every single month. Everyone that signs up for Masterworks actually, uh, in order to invest, has to talk to a salesperson. And we're not doing that because you know, we, we, are, we consider ourselves fiduciaries or you know, financial advisors. 
We're doing that because art is a very confusing and brand new asset class. We're the only ones enabling access to this $1.7 trillion market. So from a suitability standpoint, to let someone YOLO their life savings into a, a Banksy's is not something that we want our customers to do. And we also don't think it makes sense for someone that has a $5 million retirement portfolio to put in $100. So we'll tell that person just keep your money, keep the cash, you know, put it in stock, something like that. So we're really getting people not only to understand what is art as an asset class, why is art important, but to make sure they're investing responsibly and investing a part of their portfolio that actually makes sense. So although it does hurt our funnel, we have a huge drop-off in people that just say, you know what, I don't want to talk to any human beings. This is not for me. I'm going to go back to Robin Hood or whatever. That's just sort of how we position it. We want to be able to talk to everyone on the phone. And again, we don't really view it as a sales call trying to push you into an offering. We're just trying to educate you to make sure you know what you're doing. Because this isn't real estate. This isn't stocks. This thing that's brand new. So we really want to make sure that if you're holding something like art for five to seven years, you know what you're getting yourself into. Right. That's interesting. And Scott brought that up a little bit as well. And I know I signed up for Masterworks myself. I signed up. I like, let's do it. And then then there was that step of like, okay, schedule your call, you know? And it wasn't for me, it wasn't that I like I didn't see the value in that. It was just like, okay, that's another thing. I gotta find time to do that. And I just haven't done it yet. Yeah. You know, so I think that's a big bet you're playing, right? You're you're playing, you're saying, hey, look, we Look, we're sure we're going to lose people and that's fine. But you're also saying, hey, if people take the time to connect with us, we're going to educate them. We're going to make sure they actually are a right fit and they're going to be working with you for you know the next decade or more. Right. So exactly, I, I see that. I was curious about that play. If like y'all were mm-hmm. testing that against not having people do that, if you were or you're going to keep it. Hey, you got to talk to somebody before you play. Yeah, for us, it's, it's an integral part of the business and all the people on our membership team are registered Series 7 salespeople. So they had to go through a Series 7 and a Series 63 and really know their stuff um, when talking to our to our clients. So mm. I think it really sets us apart in that you are speaking to a licensed professional um, and the investment products we're giving out are qualified with the SEC. We're regulated by FINRA. We are putting everything through compliance. So right. we're really buttoned up. And I think it really changes us in how people view us versus you know going into Robinhood or crypto or anything like that. This is a serious investment platform for making you know not crazy returns, but steady returns. So we want to mirror that in our sales flow, that this is, this is a, a serious investment product. You're going to talk to a serious salesperson um, and you're going to allocate accordingly. Mm-hmm. Do you have any kind of general thoughts and or best practices around AI uh, and its place? It comes up a lot. And I'm curious if you're already going down that road with some of the masterwork stuff. Are you already dabbling with AI? If so, how? If not, why not? I would say that on the marketing front, uh, I'm not particularly working with it, but our data science team has been doing some incredible things. We have the largest data set, proprietary data set of art market returns. We basically took, and this is the most un-AI thing, how we started it, is we took 50 years of art auction results that were all published uh, physically in the Sotheby's and Christie's pamphlets. So we had a team of about 25 interns go in and say, this piece of art was bought for this and then sold for this. And we created this huge database to bring it all together. No one else had done it because it's a pain in the ass. So you know, we created this database and our data science team was then able to look at using AI, all these different fascinating insights which artist markets are returning the best, which um, years within those artist markets, which type of art, and we really were able to single out, okay, it's contemporary art, which is post-World War II art, 
and it's coming from you know this time period and you know we're we're seeing that it has this type of returns stuff that is way beyond my understanding but uh they were able to sort of bring all that together and bring a quantitative approach to a market that's sort of been um you know hand and paddle for the last you know 300 years yeah scott was talking about that somebody like had to go through all the catalogs yeah. and like get all of that data which is insane to think about, but you got a really beautiful data set. You got some interesting information and some business intelligence, I think that's going to be invaluable. So that's, that's really cool. What is your kind of marketing mix look like these days? And has it changed in the last you know, year due to the, the world that we live in now or just due to growth? But what's your marketing mix look like and ha- has it changed at all? It is extremely diversified. I mean, I learned a pretty uh, harsh lesson a few years ago when Back in the day, Google would read your emails and serve you ads from that. And it was great as one of our best channels. And then obviously, they got a lot of blowback. And then all of a sudden, they turned the lights off and our best performing channel went away. And we were very densely... Um, you know, we, we had, a lot of our users were coming from that. And we were not diversified at all. So having learned from that lesson, we are extremely diversified. I don't think any single platform makes up or any single source makes up more than 30% of our spend or our uh, leads coming in. So like I mentioned before, we are, and I think a lot of people may be uh, annoyed by this, but we're everywhere. And I hope you go to our website and we'll follow you around the internet (laughs) forever. Um, But we are, like I mentioned before, we do affiliate direct mail. Um, We're starting to do some uh, more self-serve video Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Quora, Reddit, we, we try everything. And we, like I said, we really give it a shot. We're not just you know, trying it once or twice. We're, we're giving it six months runway to make sure that we're, we're giving it our all. But we are, we are everywhere. I would say, mm. I would say um, we have at least you know, 15, 20 different channels uh, running at all times. Yeah, the direct mail piece is interesting too. I love, I love that. Scott I also talked about that just a, a tiny bit. Now, I wanted to, to get to you on this because you're the marketing guy. But I, lo- I, I personally love direct mail. I think that it's a lot of people don't go there and don't do it right. And so it sounds like you guys have evaluated it and are, are using it, you know, in a positive way, which is, which is awesome. But I'm curious about just your take on that, on how you got into the direct mail part of it, um, how you're split testing that, how you kind of look at direct mail, because it's a traditional thing. It can be very, very useful if done the right way. And I just love your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it can be very useful, but also very expensive and similar to the LinkedIn uh, situation we had before, where that was the stigma that sort of, you know, made my ears perk up like, oh, it's expensive and people are sort of wary of it. Let's like investigate further. So I kind of like when those opportunities come up, but I see what direct mail is right now. And I've seen CPMs go up over the last year or so is I think where we are is sort of when companies like Warby Parker and Dollar Shave Club really got into Facebook marketing, you know, making like killing it on Facebook advertising, whatever that was eight years ago or so. And they were realizing that, you know, they had these awesome targeting capabilities and could really make direct to consumer work. Well, that had a ripple effect. Every company on the planet was like, oh my gosh, we can do that too. So they all rushed over to Facebook and then CPMs rose for everyone and the party was kind of over. And, you know, I think uh, some of that has ended a little bit. People have sort of, you know, moved to other channels. But I think now what's happened in the last year or so, or especially over the last few months, potentially with um, you know the new iOS security updates, that some people are now coming back to direct mail. And I can tell you as someone who lives in um, 
in uh, New York City. I walk out of my mailbox every day with a stack this big of junk mail. And it's pre- pretty pathetic that I get excited to look at junk mail every single day so I can like learn and bring <laughs> and share them with my team. But I would say that uh, it's been very, it's been very difficult. And I would say split testing and everything has just been, has been very difficult. Uh, not so much for attribution, just because there's so much you can do with creative and it takes weeks to sort of get back. So it's not like you're sending out an email and split testing and you get results back the next day or, or you know, instantly. So for a company that's very fast moving and very impatient like ours, mm-hmm. it's hard for us to swallow, you know, two or three week turnaround time. Wow. What are your kind of thoughts approach on kind of winning now in this cookie-less world that we're in, you know, where people are opting out and it's going to become harder in a lot of ways for marketers? What's your kind of assessment and, and take on that? Uh, it's an excuse. I, I think people that say, oh, X has happened because of the new updates and that's hurting our CPMs. Honestly, it's just pretty lazy. Like, if you can't figure that out, then like, what are you doing? Um, why do you have a job? No, that sounds harsh, but, uh, you know, I, I've heard vendors say that, you know, as a reason for passing on costs or, you know, just every which way. But, you know, we've really always found there, there's always going to be something in that example I gave before about Google turning off the email reading part. These platforms are going to constantly change, especially as there's more pushback on, on security. And if you can't sort of manage your way around that, then you've got bigger problems. Mm. Yeah, I, I actually, I actually appreciate that response. I think, you know, look, things are always going to change and it's always going to be a new challenge for marketers. And, and I think you're right. At the end of the day, you just got to rise to it and figure out, okay, we still got to reach our customers. They want a great experience. We still have to grow, you know? So I love kind of hearing different perspectives on that because different marketing leaders will kind of share what they think about a cookie-less world and kind of how they, what their source of truth is now and kind of how they view that, especially in a fast growth org like Masterworks, you know, where you, you gotta be everywhere. And, um, but yet with intention, written the right, in the right way. So the website Masterworks talks a lot about art as an asset class, right? Can you just kind of explain to our listeners that why it's important in understanding like the Masterworks model? Absolutely. So I think what's really interesting about Masterworks is we, we consider it the largest um, unsecuritized asset class. So you look at private equity, um, you know, there's about $4 trillion uh, in AUM uh, in, in private equity, and there's 9,000 PE firms. Private real estate, there's about $1.5 trillion of AUM, and there's over 500 different funds. Same with private debt, there's just under a trillion dollars of AUM, about 160 funds. And then you look at art, art's a $1.7 trillion market. And until Masterworks, there was absolutely no way to invest in it. Um, so on top of there just being no way to enter it, those who did want to enter it, who wanted to build a diversified portfolio, would need tens of millions of dollars. You could buy one piece, and if that one piece went down in value, uh, and you'd spend a million dollars on it, and you weren't diversified, uh, it, it's not really a secure asset or strategic asset class as we like to uh, to think about it. So for us, art as an asset class, you know, it, it not only is it a um, strategic asset class where you can generate returns, uh, but there's been no way to get into it. And, you know, if we had done all this research and put together this database and we found that, you know, these returns weren't good, we wouldn't have started Masterworks. But we focus on the contemporary art market, uh, which has returned 14% per year from 1995 to 2020. And with that type of, um, you know, of investment return versus 9.5% for the S&P, there's a lot of opportunity there. And so when you kind of have these 
secret unfair advantages like we do, uh, that's when you sort of seize the opportunity uh, and try and invest. Mm, I like it. So you just released to the public a lot of data. You talked about this a little bit. You have all, all this data on all these pieces of art, which by the way, people can go to this masterworks.io forward slash research. You don't have to have a username or anything to sign up, but consumers now get access to this wealth of information, purchase price, sales prices. Why are you willing to give this information up, right? Because from a marketing perspective, how is this helping you gain trust with your audience? It's gold data, gold information. I'm curious about that. Yeah, I mean, our goal is to educate people on art as an asset class. So if people get excited about investing in art and they Google it, we're the first search result and we always will be. So we are so happy to give our research away. We're working with other banks and uh, investment platforms to educate them, give them all of our data, give them our, you know, our price database, show them how different artist markets have different loss rates uh, and different correlations because we want everyone, we want to educate everyone. Because not only are we getting new people into the asset class, we're also growing it at the same time. So, you know, we can actually have a huge impact on the market and we consider ourselves one of the top buyers in the art market. So if we can bring more people in and expand it. It's kind of like what Amazon did to, um, online shopping. You know, people thought they were overvalued at $30 billion. Well, they also, they probably were given the size of the current, you know, online market in 1999, whatever it was. But what people weren't factoring in is that Amazon itself was going to be growing the market. So there's such a higher you know, possibility for such a huge valuation. Um, so that's what, how we try to think of ourselves is that not only will we let more people in like Amazon did, we'll also grow the market at the same time. Mm. It seems like there's a, a B, there's certainly a B2C play with Masterworks. And there's also a B2B play as well, right? Because you also have like another opportunity with, you know, private, you know, finance companies and managed money communities. And so is it accurate to say that there's kind of a B2C and a B2B play? Yeah, I think right. We've really only focused on B2C. Uh, we have single investment offerings and people can build a portfolio themselves of different artists, um, depending on the risk appetite and their allocation. And we're working right now to get more into the managed money community. It's a much longer sales funnel, something that I'm not really involved with. But yeah, absolutely. That's on our roadmap. Okay. Yeah. I was curious about that too. And then in terms of content and just how content you know, creating original content, right? Where does that fit in the marketing kind of mix of what you're doing? Because you're a lot of places. Are you focused on the content creation part of it or collaborating with other folks on the content side of things to reach consumers or, you know, private money communities? So I will say from a marketing standpoint, trying to acquire users, absolutely not. I used to do content marketing and I really dislike it. And sorry to all content marketers listening, but I, uh, I just... We just don't think that has any value. We, and I'll, I'll tell you why, our user base is very interested in two things, diversity and returns. Diversity meaning investment, diversity, diversification. So when we email them, we want to give them those two things. And we only email people with new investment offerings. We don't want to bug them. Something that's really important to us is our email list. So if we're sending content, which we have in the past, and that gives us higher unsubscribe rates, we're just not going to do it. You know, We think of our email list as currency. And if we're going to do something to do, devalue our currency, we're just not going to do it. On the other side, on the B2B side, we have someone that leads up our research team that is working with all these different investment platforms, doing collaborative research for their communities to learn about art from much more investing in esoteric financial standpoint. But as a user acquisition tool, 
we do not do any content as of now. Hmm. All right. Awesome. Before we get into lightning round, is there anything else, broadly speaking, that you want to make sure we touch on? Make sure to sign up at masterworks.io. <laughs> Don't forget it. Yes, the listeners definitely check this out. We we know there's a ton of uh, there's a ton of global 2000 marketing leaders that that tune into this show, and so they'll definitely be checking this out. So thanks a lot, man. We've totally enjoyed having you on this on this episode, man. Michael, you're an exceptional human and uh, super honored. So thanks for being here, man. Of course, it's been a, it's been a blast. I I can't wait to uh, listen to the pod, share it with all my friends, and uh, you'll be hearing from my mom. I'll be very excited when she listens to it. <laughs> nice, cool. Okay, well, let's get into the lightning round. Um, it's just some cool kind of hot seat questions. Um, uh, Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Uh, Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Number one, Michael Winner, VP of Marketing and Business Development at Masterworks.io. First question, what's the best piece of art that you own? Uh, I don't own any art and I'm not allowed to because Massworks employees aren't allowed to. But if I were to own a piece of art on Massworks.io, I would invest in Basquiat's All Colored Cast Part 3. It's our most valuable piece of art we ever offer on our platform, $22.5 million. It is beautiful. It is huge. It is one of Jean-Michel Basquiat's masterpieces, and I love it. And I don't know if I could ever describe a piece of art through audio. So just go to Massworks.io and sign up. <laughs> I love it. Basquiat comes up. I love Basquiat. Basquiat comes up a lot. So I love you brought him up again. Second question, what other alternative assets do you see having a similar impact? I see NFTs not having a similar impact. I do not believe NFTs are a strategic asset class. Strategic asset classes are ones that uh, have been around for a while, can be part of a portfolio. uh, And I think NFTs have a false sense of scarcity. Uh, You're basically putting an image, uh, putting a JPEG on the blockchain and calling it scarce, even though you don't own any VIP. I am short NFTs. Got it. Your Twitter background picture includes uh, Craig Sager and the Washington Wizards. Yes. Favorite Wizards player of all time. And when will the Wizards win their next title? The Wizards will not win their next title for a very long time. They, for some reason, signed Spencer Dinwiddle and they need to build a team around Bradley Beal and let him make all the decisions. My favorite Wizard of all time. I mean, I want to say, you're supposed to say MJ, which is hilarious, but... I mean, I like all of them. Tom Thomas, Brendan Haywood, Michael Ruffin, the old school players back in the day when we were so good, Antoine Jameson, Jerry Stackhouse. Yes. Uh, even Christian Leitner is in there. I like the old school Wizards. John Wall didn't quite work out. So Awesome. Your Twitter bio also says that you're on a mission to bring back Spotify DMs. Why do the DMs matter to you so much? Listen, Daniel Ack, I'm talking right to you right now. Okay, Spotify CEO. Spotify DMs were the best thing to ever happen. Now, I'm not a product guy, but I can tell you this much. When you found a new bop on Spotify, all you wanted to do was send it to your friends. And listen, I understand why we did this. They got rid of Spotify DMs. So then you would have to text people, your friends about a song. And if they didn't have Spotify, guess what? They'd have to sign up for Spotify. I get it. It's a growth hack. But it was my favorite thing ever. I think they should bring it back. You can scroll back to your thread with your friends to 2011 and you can say, I can't believe I messaged you this T-Pain song with a bunch of flame emojis. Like that is just the best thing ever. I think more conversation inside of apps leads to more community. Please, Daniel, bring it back. 
I love that. And we've actually interviewed some Spotify folks on other shows. We'll bring, we're going to bring them back. We're going to bring a Spotify exec. Let's go for the CEO. Yes. We'll bring him back. Last question. Best advice for a first time VP of marketing. Don't give up on a source just because CPAs are high at the beginning. Close your eyes, you know, bite your tongue and just keep trying. You will get CPAs down, not through targeting, but more effectively through creative. Focus on creative first, targeting second. Love it. Awesome. Michael Winner, thank you so much. It's been an honor and a pleasure, dude. Thanks for coming. We'll talk soon. Of course. Make sure to support the show, salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.